This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Four minutes after the hour, it's Thursday, November 11th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on this Veterans Day. Today is also the memorial of the Bishop St. Martin of Tours. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you to start your day here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. A heartfelt thank you to all the great men and women of the military. Thank you for your service. Thank you to all the veterans uh, joining us across our our great nation of America. On this Veterans Day, we pay tribute to all the great uh, American veterans, living or dead, especially the living veterans who served our nation honorably during war or peacetime. Every once in a while, people will still come up to me and if they see me in my Vietnam hat or whatever and say thank you for your service. And that still means a lot. You know, when people thank me, I always remind them it's an honor to serve. Everything that I have in my life and everything that I have in my family came from service. I'd do it all over again if I had to. Every Veterans Day, the older I get, I think the more important it comes to me. Veterans Day means to me is a time to honor everybody who came forward. They were willing to pay up to everything, including their life. So we're celebrating those one percenters that recognize the need to serve our nation. My name is Troy Taylor and I'm a veteran of the Global War on Terror. Stephen A. Evans, a veteran of the Vietnam War. Richard Wayne Motter, I'm a veteran of World War II. Thank you to all these great Americans. On Thursday, we always remember also the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. We start each hour, we start every show, always giving thanks, so much to give thanks for. We thank our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, whenever we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. Saint Joseph, in this year of Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Now, Advent begins Sunday, November 28th, two weeks from this Sunday. Can you believe it? Relevant Radio has a free and simple way for you to grow in your faith this Advent season and get ready for the true meaning of Christmas. All you have to do is sign up to receive Father Rocky's Advent Inspirations. They're short. They're daily audio reflections designed to help you go deeper into the beauty of the Advent season, and it's a great way to grow in your Catholic faith. These reflections are even Email to you directly every morning, all during the Advent season. All you have to do is sign up for Father Rocky's free Advent at inspirations at uh, relevantradio.com slash Advent, or you can click on the banner on the Relevant Radio app. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from John 6, 27. Our Lord Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him has God the Father set his seal. Later in the same sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, our Lord Jesus Christ refers to the Holy Eucharist when he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he says it several different times. What are some examples of foods that disappear? I believe Jesus the Lord is referring to material things that we spend our entire lives chasing after, things like houses, cars, clothes, and intangible things like power and prestige. Material things are all passing. The only thing that lasts is our relationship with the Lord, with our family, and with our friends. Put your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ today, in Christ in the Holy Eucharist, and we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. And now once again, it's time to take a look at some of the news stories that are important to Catholics and other Christians this past week. Among some of the headlines we want to talk about this morning, U.S. bishops have drafted a statement on the importance of the Holy Eucharist and not on the need to deny communion to Catholic politicians who support abortion. And the U.S. Supreme Court uh, is hearing a case of a death row inmate who's requesting his pastor's touch at execution. And L.A. Catholic schools are not requiring students to have a COVID-19 vaccinations. Now joining us with much more on these and other stories that affect our church and our nation that have made recent headlines from a Catholic perspective is Pablo Kay, the editor-in-chief of Angelus News, angelusnews.com, with the nation's largest archdiocese in Los Angeles. Good morning, Pablo. Happy Veterans Day. Welcome back to the show. Uh, good to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Happy Veterans Day. How are you? Doing well, doing well, counting my blessings. Uh, Pablo, uh, there was an apparent leak of information recently uh, about a, a draft statement by the uh, U.S. bishops. Can you fill us in on uh, what exactly this statement was all about? Well, um, everyone's been talking about this statement for, for the last few months, it seems, uh, especially since in June when the U.S. bishops voted to move forward um, and, and begin drafting uh, this document, which would then have to be um, discussed, voted on, and and then maybe approved at um, at their next uh, gathering, which is is going to be next week in Baltimore. Um, and this uh, a lot of the media hype around this document was about whether it was going to um, be explicit in issuing. Um, norms or guidance or, or, or even more specific 
um, instruction on whether to uh, admit pro-choice, pro-abortion Catholic politicians to, to Holy Communion, right? Um, but we've known for months now that, that a majority of the bishops don't intend to, to issue any, any kind of condemnation of that sort, uh, even uh, with all the, the controversy around um, politicians like President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and so forth. Um, they've tried to stay, the bishops have tried to stay pretty on message in that this document is going to be a teaching document. It's going to be part of a, a larger push um, for a, a, nat a nationwide Eucharistic revival, um, spurred largely by, you know, these recent findings that show that, that claim to show that a majority or a near majority of practicing Catholics or Catholics uh, in general don't really believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the, in the Holy Eucharist. So, I mean, to be honest, this document, this draft, which is not final, um, it was bound to get out. I mean, uh, it's been circulating around between more than 200 active U.S. bishops in the country, and uh, apparently one of them decided to share it with, uh, with uh, the news blog, the Catholic news blog, The Pillar. And uh, so now everyone's, you know, kind of picking it apart. Well, uh, Pablo, maybe it's it's a good thing because uh, any document that uh, talks about the, the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith, as uh, the greatest treasure uh, for us as Catholics, uh, perhaps that's a, a good thing here in anticipation of next year's uh, Eucharistic revival. Right. The, I think the the question is, you know. Um, mm, Will Catholics read, reflect, discuss on the document when, um, when, and if it's 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 published, right? With the the kind of the teaching points that it has, the, the reflections and everything, or will they just um, kind of go with whatever the media, however the media wants to cast it, news reports want to cast it, and and move on? But I think what the bishops have in mind is to use this document as the basis for their own efforts in their own individual dioceses um, to kind of bring about this Eucharistic revival, to invite people um, to really appreciate the treasure of, of the Eucharist. And Pablo, the document uh, is titled The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church. And, and of course, uh, the bishops will be talking about this. They'll be discussing it in the upcoming uh, USCCB annual in-person meetings in Baltimore, which I understand you'll actually be at. Yes, that's the plan, as long as they let me in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, this document um, is going to be, it's, uh, the, the first day of their meeting next Monday is actually going to be a closed-door meeting, so, so no uh, guests, visitors, media, including myself, will be allowed in, um, where they're expected to, to have some, hopefully some kind of frank um, discussions about the document and what, you know, what they think about it, what may need to be changed, added, subtracted, um, so that'll be, it'll be interesting to then, you know, once the, 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 the plenary assembly is open to, to the public and it'll also be live stream online on Tuesday, um, you know, they'll, this will be one of the several things they'll be discussing and deliberating, um, at the, at the meeting among other action items. 
Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on uh, what uh, what comes of that document and some of the discussions. I'm sure the mainstream media will be uh, focusing in on the political aspect of it, but uh, we uh, will focus in on what the bishops have to say about the Holy Eucharist. Uh, we're uh, joined this morning by Pablo Kay, editor-in-chief of Angelus News of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And Pablo, um, let's shift gears here and, and talk about the Supreme Court. Um, can you... Um, Explain to us uh, how the Supreme Court is uh, dealing with a, a case involving a death row inmate and his pastor. Uh, what's going on? Oh, it's interesting. I think it was earlier this week the U.S. Supreme Court um, heard arguments in a case regarding a, a death row inmate in Texas who uh, is basically suing the state of Texas in order to get permission to have his pastor, who's a, a, a Southern Baptist minister, I believe, um, to be able to to pray with him during his execution, to be able to lay hands on him, um, at which uh, the, the Texas government has has rejected this request. In fact, uh, it was a long-standing tradition to allow this kind of thing in Texas up until 2019, uh, when there was a case involving a, a death row inmate who wanted some kind of, uh, it was, I believe it was a Buddhist uh, minister or cleric, um, and I think it's a long story, but, but since then, this hasn't been allowed. So the Supreme Court heard these arguments. Very interesting. Obviously, this is a, a, a big importance for for Catholics in terms of religious liberty in this country. Um, and as we can expect, the, the Catholic bishops of this country have advocated, have um, you know, kind of come down on the side of this inmate, <clears throat> realizing that this you know uh, this case um, could have an impact on on people of any other faith, including the Catholic faith, who want um, the presence of their priest or, or their chaplain or whoever at the, the end of their life, right, at the, the moment of execution. Interestingly enough, though, um, in terms of what, what we know, what, we, what was made public by the, the, justices, the Supreme Court justices' comments and questions um, during the nearly two hours of arguments, it doesn't seem like their their thinking on this case breaks down along the predictable party lines, right? Um, there were justices like like uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh um, and Justice John Roberts who who raised some concerns with with um, with allowing you know this kind of thing. Whereas I, th I believe there were a few liberal, more progressive-minded judges who who signaled or hinted. Um, at support for for this young man, um, you know one of the one of the concerns, for example, raised by John Roberts, I believe, Justice John Roberts, was that if you know what if an inmate wanted said he wanted to convert to another faith prior to the execution and the process of that conversion would take several months. Um, well, in that case, he would be basically he would be delaying the execution with the with the excuse uh, with the religious excuse, right? So. Um, it's very interesting. We'll see how, how it plays out. Obviously, we know the Catholic Church is opposed to the death penalty um, in the first place, and you can kind of see the wisdom of the Church here in this, in this case, right? Um, the, 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 it's like the Pandora's box of, of conflicts and dilemmas and issues that, um, that capital punishment implies, especially for religious freedom um, concerns. Do you have any idea why the state of Texas uh, banned 
prison chaplains uh, to begin with uh, in 2019? Well, it, it stems from this uh, from this case I was mentioning before with the, the Buddhist chaplain. And, and basically at that time, um, only imp the only chaplains who were allowed to be uh, with death row inmates at the moment of their execution in Texas were chaplains who were already employed by the state of Texas, right? And the state of Texas did not have a Buddhist chaplain. So rather than hire one, they just decided we're going to ban all spiritual advisors um, from, from the execution chamber. Got it. Uh, Pablo, uh, meanwhile, uh, your state, California, has some of the strictest uh, rules regarding COVID, uh, as we well know. Uh, can you give us an update? What is the latest uh, in California when it comes to, to COVID? And, and what are people thinking these days? What's their attitude about some of the uh, restrictions and the mandates? Uh, well, I mean, California, I think since pretty much since the start of this pandemic has tended to have um, restrictions and protocols on the stricter side. Um, in fact, here in Los Angeles, uh, just this week, um, they started requiring proof of vaccination even just to go eat at a restaurant, um, going to movie theaters and other places, public places, indoor public places. Um, so it's difficult. There is a kind of a, been a, a backlash in terms of many uh, public employees, firefighters, um, uh, police officers who are objecting to the the mandate um, to be to be vaccinated in their places of work. There was a big protest, I believe it was on Monday, uh, here in downtown that drew thousands. Um, on the other hand, we have one. I think we we still have one of the lowest rates of of um, of incidents of of COVID cases in the country. Um, but at the same time, that leads people to say, okay, well, how long are we going to continue with these measures? Do we really need vaccination mandates at this point um, when so, so few people seem to be dying from COVID-19? Um, so we're kind of in this, uh, um, in this uh, strange spot moment, I guess, and, and everyone's just kind of waiting also to see what happens in the winter. Is it, are things going to get worse? Are or has the, the, the vaccination campaign, is it going to really pay off in terms of keeping cases and deaths low? Doesn't sound like they're totally following uh, the science when the numbers keep going down and down. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the Los Angeles Catholic schools have said that they're not going to require vaccinations for, uh, for the students. Uh, uh, what do you think of their perspective? Well, I mean, I, I work here in the same building as, as the... It's the folks who um, who run the Catholic schools here, but um, really, I think uh, the, the superintendent here reached out to, to schools and to parents uh, last week uh, to let them know that that despite what we're hearing in the news that that the FDA has granted emergency authorization for children five and up to receive the vaccine, um, we're not at the point where we're um, where we're going to require it. Is basically what he was saying. This this. Uh, authorization is still it's it's emergency it's not full um so it can't be it's difficult to um impose it to require it for for students so uh we'll see what happens uh obviously this is the the next step and and the superintendent noted it will be to see what happens next year um if the state wants to really um 
make a mandate for for children this young to be vaccinated in order to to attend school, um, then we'll we'll see what happens there. Do you see other dioceses uh, following suit? All right, I, I, at this point, I don't see how how any diocese could could um, could mandate um, COVID nineteen COVID nineteen vaccination for young children um, because the first of all because the state hasn't required it yet. Um, it will be interesting if the state does want to require it. Um, what kind of um, you know will will the Catholic school systems um, see fit to, to push back, to, um, to not require them. Um, I think there's a lot yet to be, to be uh, decided. And finally, here in, the, in our final moments, uh, Pablo, uh, and we're speaking with uh, Pablo K., the editor-in-chief of Angelus News. Uh, Pablo, um, in Madrid, Spain, Archbishop Jose Gomez uh, has made some news, uh, warning against the rise of what he calls a new political religions. Uh, uh, can you fill us in on uh, what that story is all about? Right, so Archbishop Gomez was asked to speak at a... Um at a congress, at a gathering of uh, an annual gathering of Catholics in public life in Madrid, organized there by a, a prestigious Catholic university in Madrid, Archbishop was unable to travel to Madrid, so he he, he delivered his his uh, talk, kind of like a keynote talk, uh, via video, right? Um, and so the the talk has been getting a lot of play, a lot of discussion, praise, criticism. Um, Basically, he was asked to talk about uh, the issue of, of political correctness, which is a, a major um, um, issue right now for Catholics in, in, in places like Spain, right? So Archbishop Gomez uh, offered a reflection specifically about um, the, what's kind of known popularly as wokeness and um, the rise of new social justice movements and what, they're, what they promise or what they fail to deliver. Uh, and basically, Archbishop Gomez laid out um, kind of a, uh, an analysis um, that, that uh, while acknowledging you know, that, that the, the church always has to be concerned with social justice, that even he personally um, was really disturbed and shaken by, by a lot of what we saw last year, the murder of George, George Floyd and so many things, the, the kind of new um, so, so-called woke social justice movements that have, have um, kind of gotten stronger in the last year or two, um, that deep down, they, uh, a lot of them try to offer what true religion does, right? They, they claim to offer uh, an answer to, to the world's problems. They, they try to, they propose... Um, uh, uh, basically, a, a just society, uh, but one that really, at its core, doesn't doesn't um, doesn't have God at, at its center. Doesn't really take. Doesn't really have room for for um, for personal personal belief in God. Doesn't really have room for Judeo Christian values, right? So he called um, so these um, this kind of woke um, line of line of thinking which is becoming very dominant and very strong in the media and in education and universities whatever he called them pseudo religions right in that they 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 have a lot of elements of 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 religious elements right in which 
Um, we need to make uh, communal acts of of um, of worship. We have to acknowledge certain truths. We have to make certain sacrifices. Um, but in the end, they they don't they can't offer what true religion, what true faith provides. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, appreciate, uh, as always, uh, your insights, uh, your Catholic perspective on, on all the news uh, that affects our church and our nation. Pablo, thank you so much. Thank you, as always, John. Pablo K., editor-in-chief of Angeles News, angelusnews.com, of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Board-certified pediatrician Dr. Rebecca Baki will be with us to talk about what you should know about the approved children's COVID vaccine. Stay with us. There's a lot more conversation straight ahead as Morning Air continues after this. Relevant Radio runs on horsepower, your horsepower. Donate any vehicle and keep our stations running. Join in with hundreds of other listeners who have given their unused vehicles at relevantradio.com car. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning, good morning to you. And good morning to you. 31 minutes after the hour, welcome back to Morning Air on this Veterans Day. Thank you for your service to all the veterans who are with us this morning. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. And now I want to talk about the pandemic and how it's affecting our kids. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, adults are being told to get boosters and children 5 to 11 are being told to get the vaccine that the CDC has recently approved. For many, uh, the question is, uh, in six months, will they need uh, boosters as well? Uh, Do vaccines make sense for children? Joining us now is Dr. Rebecca Baki to talk about COVID kids and what you should know about the approved vaccines. Dr. Baki is a board-certified pediatrician for 11-plus years. She's a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a member of the Catholic Medical Association. Dr. Baki is also married with four young children. Dr. Baki, good morning. Good to be with you once again. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Baki, many, many questions out there by a lot of parents uh, that that continue to pop up day after day. There's a lot of folks who, you know, are wondering with the very low mortality numbers for children, reportedly 0.025%, very similar to the seasonal flu. Many are asking, do kids really need the COVID vaccine, especially since they're very unlikely uh, to die from COVID? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a question that I get a lot in clinic. Um, Certainly, they're um, a lot less likely to die than adults, but we still do see deaths in kids. I mean, 680 pediatric deaths um, in this country since the part of the pandemic. And, you know, as we know, all lives are sacred. And, you know, particularly um, 
when we're talking about little kids, I mean, that's a pretty serious illness. We also see a lot of hospitalizations in kids, about 25,000 since the start of the pandemic. And when we're talking about 5 to 11-year-olds, it's about 8,300. And about one in three kids ends up in the ICU. So, you know, when you're looking at overall numbers, certainly most children do well, um, but there's a good number that don't. And if we can prevent serious illness and death in kids, um, it's a good idea. Uh, other problems with COVID, too. I mean, we're seeing interrupted education for kids. You know, we know that virtual school for most kids was an unmitigated disaster. They're having trouble with their socio-emotional health. Um, and a lot of kids have lost people that they love. You know, even though children aren't dying, we know adults are. Um, it's estimated around 140,000 kids have lost a primary or secondary caregiver. And that has impacts, you know, that uh, affects kids for a lifetime. So um, there are a lot of reasons that uh, even though kids aren't dying, you know, um, the impact is greater than the death rate, I think, when you're talking about COVID, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, well, you, you you make some very, very good points. And uh, again, it goes back to, to the question, you know, why has this become so controversial, the use of vaccines for the children specifically? It seems like uh, politics seems to creep in uh, every day uh, when you talk about this issue. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, it's It's been really frustrating. I mean, it's been you know, vaccines have always been, I think, somewhat controversial. I, you know, it's kind of can be a hot topic, I think, in a lot of circles, but there's nothing, nothing like this vaccine. So um, I always tell my patients, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not the government. You know, I don't have a political agenda. I mean, my job, my, like my whole mission, what I spend my um, career doing is, is trying to keep kids safe and healthy. And I think that's what this is really about. I mean, you can take stats and um, slant them in such a way to want to interpret what you want to interpret. So uh, even like the 0.025% uh, statistic of that very low mortality number for children, uh, how does that compare, uh, realistically speaking, with uh, the typical flu that kids get every, every year? Like the 680 deaths, to put it uh, in perspective, how is that compared to deaths to young children uh, from the flu? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the flu deaths go up and down a little bit every year, depending on kind of what variants we're seeing. But, um, you know, compared to a typical flu season, uh, COVID causes two to three times the number of deaths as influenza in kids. And I think it's important to remember, too, that that's been with mitigation measures, you know. I mean, for, you know, at least the first year or so of the pandemic, lots of kids weren't in school or weren't in school full time. You know, there was limited large gatherings in a lot of places and masks and things like that. And even with that, I mean, we had two to three times the number of deaths in kids that we, than we have in a typical influenza season. So, um, you know, and we're seeing a lot more kids um, being hospitalized and getting super sick now um, with the Delta variant. And there's probably a few reasons for that. But one probably is, you know, lessened mitigation measures. And the other is that Delta definitely seems to be more contagious and, and possibly um, more deadly too. That's kind of, I think, yet to be determined. Uh, Dr. Bucky, um, there's been n numerous uh, reports uh, that I've seen uh, in recent days uh, that show that the great majority, almost 100% of the children that have uh, perished from COVID, uh, and you, you gave the number at uh, about 680, uh, had comorbidities. Uh, does that make sense? Does that sound accurate to you? 
You know, I don't know the number as far as deaths, but for hospitalization, um, that's not true. So I don't think that that would cross over to deaths. For hospitalizations, we know that about 46% of kids in the hospital from COVID, so, you know, just about half don't have any underlying conditions. So it definitely um, is more likely to affect kids with underlying conditions. You're absolutely right about that. But we still do see healthy kids, you know, just randomly getting super sick from COVID. And, and again, since the children are, are really not dying at a high rate from COVID um, uh, or, or at the rate like adults, uh, what, what have you seen have been some of the short-term and, uh, and possible longer-term effects on kids that, that could uh, end up sending them to the hospital and also uh, spread the virus to other people? Right. So, um, you know, I mean, it's pretty miserable if you have COVID, if you have significant symptoms, just to have fever and cough and congestion. Some kids get more GI symptoms like vomiting and diarrhea. Typically what sends kids to the hospital would be respiratory problems. So breathing problems like pneumonia. Um, And those are the kids that, you know, can get typically very sick and end up in a ventilator on the ICU. You know, I I think there's a lot of emerging information about long COVID in kids. And, you know, we know about that in adults but you do see it in kids. Um, we don't have a lot of good information about that, but you know there was a study um, recently in the British Medical Journal that showed that one in seven kids have symptoms 15 weeks after infection. Um, and again, you know, this being a new virus, I mean, how long is this going to last? What are the long-term effects of the virus? There's a lot of people that ask about long-term uh, effects of the vaccine, and that's a very fair question. But um, we also don't know the long-term effects of this virus. It hasn't been with us for very long. Um, so that, you know, that's something, I think, an issue of concern for all healthcare providers and parents. That is definitely an issue. In fact, um, it's an issue for adults also because there's been uh, adults that have experienced the effects of COVID uh, 10 months later, almost a year later, they're still feeling some kind of residual effect. So you would think that that possibly could be in play with children as well? Right. Yep, Exactly. Um, Dr. Baki, um, as I mentioned uh, at, at the beginning, this, this whole issue of the vaccines for the children has, has been so political and, and so controversial. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, the, the former director of pediatric uh, neurosurgery at John Hopkins uh, Children's Center and the former uh, HUD, the HUD uh, secretary, has come out strongly against uh, the vaccine for, for children. Uh, he's calling it a giant experiment. In fact, he was just recently on with Maria Bartolomo on uh, on Fox and and was very adamant uh, that he doesn't think enough testing was done before the vaccine was approved for the kids. Um, can you can you sympathize with Dr. Carson? Can you see maybe some of his uh, perspectives uh, on on uh, why he's come out so strongly against the vaccine for kids? You know, I mean, I can. I, I absolutely sympathize with people that have questions, and I usually you know talk to par- parents and patients and say like this is because you love your kids, right? I mean, we all want what's best for our kids. And, you know, these are difficult decisions that we're asking parents to make. Um, I guess I, I do take issue a little bit with Dr. Carson saying, you know, this is a giant experiment. I mean, we've had about 200 million people vaccinated in our country. Um, and again, those are kind of right now, you know, 12 and up. Um, but it's it's um, it's been really one of the, probably the most scrutinized medical product um, in history, um, you know, and there was the study that they did in younger kids wasn't huge, about 2,300 kids, and then they did an expansion group that kind of doubled that, um, but it was still pretty significant, and, you know, there's a lot that we can kind of 
um, learn from what we've learned uh, from giving the vaccine in older kids and adults that, that we can kind of generalize to children as well. So I, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's good to ask questions. Um, it's good to be careful about what you put in your body and certainly what you put in your um, child's body. Um, but, you know, it's not really a choice of getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. Really, it's a choice of, you know, getting your child a vaccine or yourself and, and you know, getting sick with COVID. And we know that COVID has, you know, is deadly for many people and has many, many long-term effects that are really scary that, and many of which, like we just talked about, we don't fully understand. Um, so it's it's definitely um, understandable that people struggle with this. Dr. Baki, what has been your experience in your practice? Uh, how are the children reacting uh, to, to getting the vaccine? I, I, you hear, I've been hearing, uh, you know, promos on the radio uh, with the voices of mm-hmm. little children uh, talking about getting their vaccine. And how, some of them, how happy they are to get their, the vaccine so that now they feel safer. One kid says, oh, no, I can take my mask off. Uh, what's been your experience? <laughs> Well, um, I've got two different experiences. One, as a pediatrician, um, we've been giving vaccines in our clinic for about a week. And yeah, most kids and parents have been pretty excited about it and um, have done well. I really haven't gotten any calls on any kids that have um, had any struggles so far. And then I have four kids. My youngest is five. My oldest is 11. And they all got vaccinated last week. And they're doing great. Um, and they were they were really excited about getting their vaccine. Actually, my, my older son said, oh, I think I'm going to be the first kid in my whole school to get the vaccine, and I'm so excited. So, um, yeah, so far my experience has been, you know, overwhelmingly positive. It hasn't been very long, but um, kids have been doing well. I want to open up the phone lines. Uh, if any of you have uh, a question for Dr. Rebecca Baki, uh, who is with us uh, this morning, uh, board-certified pediatrician, uh, a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and a member of the Catholic Medical Association. If you have any question whatsoever about the, the children's COVID vaccines, uh, give us a call, 888 We have open lines, 888-914-9149. Uh, Dr. Baki, we need to take a short uh, timeout, short break, uh, as we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Rebecca Baki. Stay with us. There's more to come after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 47 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much uh, for joining us as we continue our conversation. We're talking about the COVID vaccines for children, the approved vaccines, uh, things that you should know with Dr. Rebecca Abaki, a board-certified pediatric doctor uh, and a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as a member of the Catholic Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Abaki, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Um, we we have we do have a few callers uh, standing by, but uh, you know one of the things that I, that I wanted to to ask you, which I believe is one of the main things, that kind of the bottom line questions that a lot of parents are are thinking, uh, is the COVID vaccine is it safe for children five to eleven? 
Um, yes, with all the information we know we have right now, um, we believe that it is very safe. You know, certainly um, there's a chance, you know, we did see this with the adolescent vaccine. As we give it to more and more um, kids, we might find that there to be some rare side effects. So, um, you know, with adolescents, you know, mostly like young men, we did find that myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart, is a pretty rare side effect. Um, for that age group. We think that's going to be less likely with these younger kids. They're less likely to get myocarditis at baseline. Um, they're getting a lower dose. We think that there's probably some sort of hormone components because um, you saw that heart inflammation the most in young men kind of ages 16 to 29. So they've got a lot of testosterone flowing at that age and things like that. Um, but again, you know, even, you know, despite that rare side effect, which they were able to pick up pretty quickly, um, the, the rates of heart inflammation after the vaccine are significantly lower, actually, than the rates of heart inflammation after the virus. So, you know, even even in men of that age group that do have that increased risk, the benefits um, do outweigh the risks. So, um, you know, with with any, you know, new vaccine or new medical product, we might find some more side effects. I think that's always a possibility. Um, but with all the information that we have right now, the study, there was no serious um, effects that they noted from the vaccine in this age group. Um, we're going to go to a few of our uh, callers this morning. Uh, Rita is joining us from uh, Lansing, Michigan. Good morning, Rita. Welcome to Morning Air. Uh, you're on with Dr. Baki. Hi, Rita. Thank you very much. Hi there. Okay. Are you familiar with Dr. Robert Barron, the gentleman that um, invented the technology for the vaccine? Um, I'm not. Not, hey, not with okay. him personally. Okay. Um, anyway, his theory is this, that, you know, of course, with increased vaccines, it increases variants. And originally, they were designed for three groups of people, the elderly, the um, people that were sick and people that were obese, probably because they're more prone to diabetes if they're obese, okay? So his concern okay. is increased variants due to increased vaccinations and the, protect, the protected group in the beginning were those three groups. But as more people get vaccinated, those groups are no longer protected. They're just like everyone else. Okay, the other problem he sees is when people get vaccinated, they don't take the precautions that are necessary to stop the spread because they may be spreading it or may be spreading variants, but because they feel they're vaccinated, then, you know, the additional protection or how do I want to say precautions are not taken, Okay. Uh, thanks, Rita. Let's mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Baki answer. Uh, Dr. Baki, um, your uh, your take. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I'm familiar with the theory that you're talking about, which which doesn't really uh, scientifically um, pan out. Fortunately, you know, the best way to kind of decrease variants is to have everybody vaccinated. Um, you know, they have tried tried this with different vaccines, just vaccinating high risk groups. Um, and, and really, it doesn't work because, you know, I guess I always I always remember this. We are many parts. We are all one body. Right. I mean, we're all kind of interconnected um, in the world and, and low risk people can certainly um, 
spread viruses and infections to high-risk people all the time. We know that no vaccine is 100% effective. So really, you know, when you're talking about vaccines like COVID, you know, even influenza, rubella vaccine, there's lots of different examples of this. You know, just vaccinating the high-risk high people is not an effective way um, to stop the spread. Um, and certainly, I think I think you can be really comfortable in knowing that, um, that uh, you know, vaccinating a larger group of people is is not going to make variants more likely. In fact, it will make them less likely. I think that was all your questions. I might have I might have missed one there. You can add on if you have one. Thanks so much, Rita. We we go to Eric in California. Good morning, Eric. Welcome to Morning Air. Hi, good Eric. Good morning, John. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I have a quick question. Um, we got uh, COVID back in uh, December of 2020, and mm-hmm. uh, my five, the whole family was fine. My five-year-old actually uh, tested positive, and he was the only one out of the whole family that didn't have any symptoms. But a few months mm-hmm. later, around around February of 2021, he got he developed this thing called MISC. Oh no! I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so it was a it was a pretty traumatic experience for us, and uh, I'm just a little bit scared to get. He's now six years old, but you know, with the whole vaccines, I don't know if I should vaccinate him or you know, or I'm just don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, thank you for your question, and I'm really sorry to hear that that happened to your son. That's actually one of the scariest. Um, effects of COVID. I, I had one of my own kids got COVID um, back in February, and that was honestly my greatest fear was that he would develop MISC. So is he doing well now? Some uh, steroids, and uh, and it, luckily uh, he, he's doing great. He's doing great. Good. So, um, so having MISC is not a contraindication to the to the vaccine, um, but I would absolutely recommend that you kind of discuss this with your pediatrician, and I'm guessing he may be followed with the pediatric cardiologist, you know, to get their take as well, because obviously they know your son better than I do as far as, um, you know, like the, the details of his case and his medical history and stuff like that. So, so that's the case in which I would I would absolutely you know have a, a really frank discussion with with your doctor, but. Um, he certainly, um, we wouldn't want that to happen to him again. Um, and, you know, uh, we know that yeah. people can get um, COVID more than once. And so um, I think I think that's something you definitely need to, to talk to your doctor. And, and if they recommend it, I would, I would go for it. And, again, I'm really sorry to hear you had such a traumatic experience, and I'm glad he's okay. Uh, thanks so thanks so much, uh, Eric. Uh, it brings up a, a, a important question that I think uh, a lot of uh, parents are also thinking: if if a child, a teenager, for example, uh, has already had COVID, uh, is there still strong evidence that they should still get the vaccine? You know, um, there is. Um, there is certainly natural infection. Um, does does work, but we find that it's a little bit more variable than an infection that you get, or excuse me, than immunity that you get um, after a vaccine. Um, and even one dose of the vaccine after you've had the virus cuts your reinfection rate by 50%. 
So that's not, you know, an insignificant number. Um, you know, people who have had the virus and then get uh, the vaccine have much, much higher antibody levels, like on the, you know, order of like 10 to 50 times higher antibody levels than people who have just had the virus. So we do recommend that um, you get the vaccine even if you had already had the infection. We have time for one more call. Anne is joining us from Virginia. Good morning, Anne. Uh, what's your question for Dr. Baki? Hi, thank you for uh, taking my call. So I think I heard you mention that the uh, reason for getting the vaccine for children is to avoid getting COVID. Um, but from what I understand and uh, what I've experienced at work is that you can still get COVID even if you're vaccinated. Yep, that's true. You can still get it even if you're vaccinated. You're a lot less likely to get seriously ill and die, um, and you're less likely to get infected, but that's true. It's not 100% effective at preventing COVID. That's correct. Uh, th thanks so much, uh, Dr. Baki. Uh, we're going to have to leave it right there. Um, we are just about all out of time. I really appreciate uh, your insights. Uh, obviously, you, you can see it's just a sample of some of the questions uh, that uh, many parents have uh, these days. Uh, as you said, any parent that loves their children wants to really uh, take their time and look at, at all the issues uh, before they make a decision. Um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Baki, for being with us. Yes, thank you. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Dr. Rebecca Baki, board-certified pediatrician and a member of the Catholic Medical Association. And uh, now it's time, uh, as we do every day, for another edition of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called, What is a Veteran? It's by Marine Corps Chaplain Father Dennis Edward O'Brien. Some veterans bear visible signs of their service, a missing limb, a jagged scar, a certain look in the eye. Others they carry the evidence inside of them. Except in parades, however, the men and women who've kept America safe wear no badge or emblem. You can't tell a vet just by looking. What is a vet? A vet is the barroom loudmouth, dumber than five wooden planks, whose overgrown frat boy behavior is outweighed a hundred times in the cosmic scales by four hours of exquisite bravery near the 38th parallel. A vet is the nurse who fought against futility and went to sleep sobbing every night for two solid years in Denang. A vet is the POW who went away one person and came back another, or didn't come back at all. A vet is the drill instructor who has never seen combat but has saved countless lives by turning slouchy, no-account punks and gang members into Marines, airmen, sailors, soldiers, and Coast Guardsmen, teaching them to watch each other's backs. A vet is the parade-riding legionnaire who pins on his ribbons and medals with a prosthetic hand. A vet is the career quartermaster who watches the ribbons and medals pass him by. A vet is an ordinary and yet extraordinary human being, a person who offered some of his life's most vital years in the service of his country, and who sacrificed his ambitions so others would not have to sacrifice theirs. So remember, each time you see someone who served our country, just lean over and say thank you. That's all most people need, and in most cases, it will mean more than any medals they could have been awarded or were awarded. Again, two little words that mean a lot to any veteran. Thank you. John 15, 13, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. So appropriate. Uh, your story corner here on this Veterans Day. I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all the vets out there, all the vets listening to us here on Relevant Radio this morning. 
thank you for all of your service. Coming up next hour, we're going to continue talking about Veterans Day with Relevant Radio's very own Matt Beersley, a veteran, a former Morning Air producer uh, who's also a Navy veteran. And Father James Kabicki will join us to discuss what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about military service, and we'll further dive into a little bit of the historical perspective on Veterans Day. So don't change that dial. There's much more to come next hour here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Stay with us.